This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the October 21st, 2020 Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm Brian Schrader, field agronomist for Northeastern Indiana. I'm joined today by fellow field agronomist and co-host Carl Joran from Northwestern Indiana and Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Ben. Morning, Brian. Today we're uh, joined by Corteva Crop Protection Market Development Specialist, Nate Wiss. Uh, you may remember we had Nate on the podcast on one of the very first episodes to talk about residual chemistries as it got dry this last summer. Uh, but now we've got uh, Nate back to try to help us navigate uh, the soybean technology space. And we're coming up on the close of soybean harvest. There's a lot of questions in the countryside about what herbicides to use, what technology system to use. And we couldn't think of anybody better than Nate to get on to be able to help us navigate those uh, murky waters. So first, let's do a quick catch up. I think this is probably the place to start. Uh, just a bit of a history lesson, if you will, about where we're at currently as we sat here on the 21st day of October. So if we go back to January of 2019, uh, in list E3 soybeans received full European approval, so no export issues. Uh, prior to that, there had been growers that had been growing E3 and less soybeans. There had been directed delivery points and things like that, but in January of 2019, we received full approval. Uh, fast forward to June of 2020, the Ninth Circuit Court essentially pulls the registration on all the dicamba products labeled for application over Roundup Ready to extend soybeans. And then we fast forward again to September of 2020 and extend flex soybeans get approved. So we now set with three technology options in the countryside some questions about what we can and cannot spray over the top or even pre-emerge on those. And so that sets the stage, Nate, I guess for today. And maybe we start with the most basic fundamental question. Obviously a lot happening in this space. There's a lot of options, but regardless of what technology system that a customer chooses, we haven't even mentioned Liberty, straight Liberty soybeans up to this point, but regardless of what system they choose, what are the important factors they need to consider from a herbicide standpoint and a weed control standpoint when they start to evaluate these herbicide systems? Yeah, great question. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, you know, the first thing that I like to always talk about is, you know, whichever technology system you're going to choose to be a part of, um, that word system really becomes very important. Um, you know, I, whether it's Enlist or the Extend system, Extend Flex, Liberty, this is all has to be a part of a, a good a good crop protection system, you know, involving using multiple modes of action, you know, mixing up our chemistries, uh, having residual chemistries. I think that's that's probably topic number one that, that should always come up because if we totally rely on, you know, any of these technologies um, without, without that idea of the program approach, uh, we're probably going to fail. So I think that's the key thing to understand. Number one is all these technologies have their, their pros and cons, but we need to definitely make that decision of, of, of understanding we're going we're gonna to do this as a part of a system. Um, some of the other things that I, I like to think about is, you know, ease of application. 
you know, do you have, is it going to fit your, your acre as far as when you want to apply these herbicides? Does it give you the flexibility to do, to do that? Um, you know, what sort of options do you have in that technology system? You know, is it, do you have two different herbicide traded options? Um, do you have three different options? What, what options are those? Um, you know, what flexibility does that provide you? Um, and then also safety, you know, can you feel confident that you're going to spray these herbicides? It's going to stay, you know, where, where you want them to stay and, and efficacy. I think that's gotta be a big piece of it, right? If, if, if what we're spraying doesn't work the way we want it to, that's a big problem. So, uh, I think all three, all three or four of those, whatever I said is, is, is very key topics that all play into the same, same idea. So Nate, I think you hit on a really important piece there um, about, you know, we're stacking all these multiple modes of actions and the whole principle, there's the convenience factor, um, you know, that gives you the flexibility to, you know, go with either a tank mix solution, right? Because we don't want to ever just lean on one mode of action when we make a herbicide application or based on those restrictive windows in terms of when you can make an application, whether that's crop growth stage or if it's a calendar date. That's the whole idea when you're when you're coming up with these formulations, these herbicide tolerant soybeans is we're trying to bring the best product solution to a farmer. So I think that that's a really, really important piece. And as we're sitting here on the 21st of October, you know, Brian did an excellent job of giving us the, the history lesson in terms of where things have gone from a crop protection standpoint. The one thing that we did neglect to mention is as of today, we're still waiting on that dicamba label for 2021, um, which I think is kind of a, a big dark gray cloud over a lot of these herbicide decisions, because right now folks just, they're kind of in the dark, not sure what that label is going to look like and, and uh, when we're going to get it. And it's just, it's unfortunate that we're in that position as an industry, but I think that provides us an opportunity today to talk about, you know, what we do know with other labels. And uh, like you said, the efficacy, um, the flexibility, the confidence you have, uh, if a herbicide is going to stay in your field or not, that, that that's why we wanted to visit with you today. So, um, I don't know, I just wanted to jump in with a little bit of a narrative uh, there just to help catch some folks up to speed on where things stand and why the industry is moving where it's moving with those multiple modes of actions and stacks. Yeah, and really, we've, you know, at our internal feeling at Corteva right now is we expect to have some, some sort of a dicamba label. And honestly, like you said, it's the 21st of October. I would expect before Election Day that that's going to happen. I think we've all kind of heard that same language. Um, but we've also heard that it's going to be more restrictive. And, and what does that mean? Um, we don't know. Everything that, that we would try to say right now is, is speculative. Um, and then we also have to think about that's going to be the EPA label. And how does you know, the state really dictate beyond that what the state wants to say is, is potentially further restrictions, which, which we did have this year across, across our area. So just a lot of unknowns with, with where we're going to be at with it. And I, like I said, I think we'll have some options with it, but is it going to be as, as flexible as we'd all like it to be? Probably not. So let's break this system down. We know that we've got some questions about the post emerge application as it sits here right now with extend and extend flex Nate, you mentioned residual chemistry and I, you know, regardless of the system, let's maybe start there and build this system up. So let's start to talk maybe about what these residuals look like. Why do we want to lay them down? Um, I, one thing I want to caution everybody about is if you go to Enlist E3, I don't want anybody to think that 
a one trip wonder is back in play. Uh, we've got to continue to do because frankly, we don't have another technology coming down the line, at least for the foreseeable future. So we want to be good stewards of that. In my mind, that starts with residuals. Talk us through that decision on residuals. What am I going to use? Why would I use one product? Not necessarily specifics, but you know, in, in big brush strokes, how do I make that decision on what I'm going to do residual wise, and why should I? Yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a lot of pieces to unpack there, and you guys know me; I could talk forever about it. Um, but the, <laughs> a couple of the key things are we have a lot of really good options pre still. Um, we have things that that will hold good residual on our target weeds, and I think. Obviously, water hemp jumps up to number one on that list, but giant ragweed is, is also on that list. For Indiana, mare's tail is going to continue to stay on that list um, for the foreseeable future. And, and I think we have a lot of good options. You think about the, the chemistry families that I like to focus on. Um, group 14s, the PPO family is, is absolutely essential in my eyes. It's an option that we really don't have in very much in corn, so it's a great way to mix up you know, year-to-year -year modes of action. And then group 15s are going to be essential. You know, group 15s being a, a focus on grasses and then the small seeded broadleaves. You think about water hem control, that is absolutely essential. And, and what we've seen is not only in that pre, but layering in residuals in the post application, that group 15 becomes a very, very key component. Um, you know, I, I've showed you guys a lot of these charts, and I think you've seen them in my presentations over the summer. But you look at water hemp, and it has really adapted over the last six years to where, you know, in, in 2014, the data would show us that if you made it to the early part of August, you, you had water hemp under control. If you had good control at that point, it was going to stop germinating and you're kind of past its window. And, and really what we're seeing today is we're seeing water hemp germinate all the way into October. So, you know, if we're just relying on the residual from the pre-side, even if we got a good burn down in crop, we might be stressing that acre a little bit and giving it potential to have a big second flush of water hemp or palmer amaranth, pigweed, you know, whatever, whatever family or species you have on your acre. So um, that group 15 becomes very, very key, but it, I also don't like to rely fully on, but, you know, the other chemistries like, like the group 14s, the group fives, you know, Metribuse and those types of products, I think are all very, very good. And if we use them properly, we can do a good job of resistance management while also using effective chemistries. Nate, you had you had mentioned water hemp there, and when we had that that dicamba pause of application with all the uncertainty early in the month of June, uh, you know there there were a lot of fields that wound up getting delayed in terms of their spray, and then we didn't have great application windows with our dicamba up until that June 20th cutoff. So there, in my neck of the woods, there are unfortunately a lot of really hairy fields, and especially in the way of water hemp. When I ask growers what's been the biggest uh, challenging weed species this year, it's it's been water hemp just based on that window as folks are trying to make those decisions and trying to get that seed bank under control um, because we know that that water hemp plant is going to create a whole lot more baby water hemp plants the next time we're going back into beans on that field when we're looking at these two different competing herbicide systems uh, do you feel as if one has an edge when you're talking about dicamba versus you know a 2,4-D uh, choline with the extend flex versus the enlist system I'm curious if there if we're at parity there or if there is a difference on water hemp yeah, great question. Um, and from what we've seen on our all of our internal data, as well as university data, is if you take 
you know, the amount of active ingredient in the Enlist One or Enlist Duo type applications, the amount of 240 active ingredient that we're going to use versus the amount of active ingredient in a, any of our Dicamba products, um, they're going to be apples to apples. Um, it, it really is hard to, to pinpoint a difference um, when you average everything out. Uh, they're going to be within a percentage point on about every trial we've ever done. Um, very, very key to use the right rates for either one of them. You know, if you cut rates, like, you know, that makes it that much more challenging. And, and obviously spraying, you know, on-label weeds is a pretty big portion of that as well. But no, really, when you think of efficacy, especially on water hemp, we see them apples to apples, um, assuming that it's, that it's done correctly. With, with the main ingredient being apples to apples, um, the, the flexibility of E3 and being able to tank mix, tank mix your, your enlist with Liberty, um, how, does that, how does that change that comparison? Touch on that, please. Yeah, so love that part about the, the E3 soybeans, having the option for glyphosate, glufosinate, the Liberty piece, and then, and then enlist one. Uh, Brian mentioned it earlier. We never want, we always want multiple modes of action. We don't want any of these chemistries to ever go out alone. That's a, a giant mistake on our part if we do. So uh, when I look at what we did this past year, um, especially as we get into Western Indiana and Eastern Illinois, we had some really, really tough water hemp. Um, you think about like Champaign County and, and then east, east to, to Indiana, Illinois border of Illinois, we've had some very, very resistant water hemp. Um, the state of Illinois has even confirmed some six and seven way um, resistant water hemp. Um, and as we've, we've fought some of those really, really tough acres, we've seen that enlist one plus glufosinate or Liberty tank mix be a very, very key part of what we're doing. Um, you know, you think about the amount of resistance that's out there for group fours, like, you know, Enlist One or Fexapan, um, or, you know, the, the glufosinate type chemistry. It's very few and far between, especially ones that are resistant to both. And we've seen on tough water hemp fields, the ability to put those two things together post is absolutely bar none the best option. Um, you know, Enlist One plus glyphosate does a really good job on kind of, I would say, your average pressure field. But where we have some really, really tough acres, that Enlist 1 plus glufosinate is a, a very, very, it's, it's, it's an aggressive option. I mean, it's a, it's a good pile of chemistry, and it's, it works very, very well from what we've seen. Well, and the perks of having a contact killer and a systematic killer, right, both in there together in concert is really, I mean, that, that really helps when it comes to efficacy and coverage and control. So, Nate, just to clarify, I can put Liberty in with my Enlist 1. Can I put Liberty in with my Dicamba? Is that something that's fair game if I'm just trying to compare systems to systems? Great question. And I, yeah, I definitely missed that point. No. Um, you know, something we know about, about our tank mix labels today and for any of the labels for the foreseeable future is that no, with any of our Dicamba products, the glufosinate products will not be allowed. And the reason for that is, is there is an ammonium component to glufosinate that would throw the volatility way off scale. So that's something we know we'll never have that option to do unless we have a, a drastic formulation change coming. You know, really your, your mode of actions post with, with Dicamba are much more limited as far as the technology system. You're, you're probably going to just have to go with, with glyphosate, which I think we all can embrace that very few water hemp are susceptible to glyphosate um, on, on a large scale. So, Nate, I want to go back just real quick as a quick review, and it may seem basic for some, but it's a very common question that we get. 
We've got the E3 enlist system. First question, is there a difference between E3 and enlist? And then I guess just you mentioned it, but I want to clarify it. Share with us what the three modes of action that we have tolerance to in the E3 soybean system. Yeah, so um, E3 and enlist are interchangeable. Um, you know, back when we started to launch this whole enlist technology, which would have been the first commercial year I think we tried to launch was 2013. We've been in it for longer than that. Um, we had two different varieties. We had enlist, uh, enlist soybeans plus Roundup Ready 2. They were stacked together. And then we had E3s. That has gone by the wayside. If you hear enlist soybeans, E3 soybeans, enlist E3 soybeans, it's all interchangeable. They are all the same traded soybean as far as, as, far as that specific trait goes. Um, and you think about these, these beans, they do have herbicide tolerances to glyphosate, some commonly known as Roundup. Um, 240 choline, the new type of 240 that's in Enlist 1 and Enlist Duo, and then glufosinate, commonly known as Liberty. Um, those are the three things that you have, and it provides you know, overall great flexibility for what we want to do, and, and it lets us really tailor, um, tailor our application to the acre and, and the weed spectrum that we have. Okay. Let's talk briefly maybe about, you mentioned Enlist 1 and Enlist Duo. Those are the two products that Corteva manufactures that has the 2,4-D choline in it. Can we talk about those products specifically just for a few minutes here to help folks understand the difference between the two? Sure, a couple of basics on them. Um, Enlist one, that's our straight goods 2,4-D choline. Um, it's, that's the single mode of action type product. Um, and we really like that product for flexibility. So if you take that Enlist one herbicide, um, you're gonna run it at a, at a quart rate and you can run that with glyphosate you know, we have a, a bunch of glyphosate products approved for tank mixing. Our preferred one is, is Durango from Corteva. Um, you can also tank mix that with Liberty and, and a variety of other things. You think about all the adjuvants and fungicides, insecticides, all those types of products that you can mix with Enlist One. It is very, very flexible in what we can do with it. Um, but if you're looking for more of that convenient play, Enlist Duo is actually a pre-mixture of 240 choline with glyphosate. So we're gonna run that at 4.75 pints, but that's gonna be more of that one jug type solution. So if there's not a whole lot of stuff you wanna add and you're looking to, to just have a you know one tote or one jug, it's a really, really nice product to fit that type of a convenient acre. Um, both products are great. Uh, I would say key thing for anybody listening to this to understand is you're probably likely to see more in List One um, in your local market than you are in List Duo. Um, over 90% of what we've sold has been an Enlist One because whether it's our growers or retail partners, that flexibility that Enlist One provides has, has been a very, very key component. Nate, when you talk about those in those 240 choline rates, those Enlist rates, I think that's really important because when when I was first being educated on Enlist and visiting with, you know, farmers just to take the pulse of the countryside on 24D, you know, I, I had heard some pushback on, well, you know, I don't know, I don't always get great kill with my 24D. And as a novice chemical man, I, I always had to go back to you and say, well, what is that all about? And and you did a nice job describing kind of the difference between a spring burn down of 24D and rates versus what our use rates are in post applications and with this system. Could you just briefly touch on that? Sure. Uh, so the big thing is when you think about our traditional spring burn down rates and really most any time we've been using 2,4-D in, in the past, um, really what we've been doing is a about a, a 
pint of a traditional four pound product, which is a half pound of active ingredient. Um, and really what we're doing with Enlist One or Enlist Duo is at our specified rates, we're running a full pound of 240, okay? Full pound of that 240 colon. That's very, very important. When you look at, at the statistics on control levels, um, the Ohio State and, uh, Weed Guide, which is, I think, collaborated with Purdue and Illinois, they mm -hmm. have some really good guides showing um, efficacy levels at that half pound of active ingredient rate versus full pound. And that'll show it right there that number one, having that, that higher rate matters and we need to get that higher rate. But the other part of that is, is glyphosate. You know, I think most commonly that's going to be our tank mix partner, whether it's glufosinate or glyphosate, both are great. But having that tank mix partner will really bolster up your, your control level. And we never want to enlist one to go out alone. So, so that's a big piece of it of let's make sure we have the right tank mix partners. Let's make sure we're running the right rates. And, and when we go back to saying efficacy is apples to apples, you know, if I took a Fexapan um, plus um, Abundant Edge, one of our glyphosate products, or Enlist One plus Durango, one of our other glyphosate products, I would expect similar control for the most part across the board on the weed spectrum because we're at the right rate, we have the right tank mix partner, um, and, and that's, that's, I guess, the, the easy answer. Nate, this, this one might be a little bit out of your purview, but I think as you were solving that mystery for folks, another objection I get with when I'm talking about the enlist folks and just, again, taking the temperature of the countryside, uh, unfortunately, uh, in a very competitive industry, sometimes you hear rumors about performance of, of varieties and, and things of that nature. And you touched on something with your previous answer about we tried to commercialize enlist, you know, in 2013 for the first time. So in order to commercialize a product, I mean, that, that's seven years ago, eight years ago now. Um, that means that there would have been varieties that our Dow colleagues had ready to roll to the field at that point in time. Uh, so that just tells me in a commercial breeding cycle, and Ben, we can lean on you a little bit here with your intimacy of, of uh, you know, how our products come to the market. But that means we've been breeding with Enlist for over 10 years now. So anyone that has uh, thoughts on associated yield drag with a quote unquote new product, that's a theory that is so easily debunked because we're a decade into breeding with this technology. And um, I, I am biased, I will fully admit it, but I do not believe there's another breeding organization like Pioneer that is able to filter through germplasm and genetics and use our molecular markers to identify those critically important defensive traits against really important diseases, my neck of the woods, white mold, Ben's neck of the woods, frog eye, you know, Schrader's neck of the woods, Phytophthora. I mean, our, our ability to use that fine mesh screen from a breeding standpoint and, and screening at that local level, I think is just such a key differentiator when we're talking about variety performance but then also those defensive traits. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on my soapbox. There's a couple other things that are really important. You know, our seed treatment offering that Pioneer has is second to none. When you take a look at things like Lumicina, that's a best-in-class Phytophthora protection, which is the number one yield-robbing disease early on in the growing season when we're trying to establish that good stand, as there are folks that are playing with lower seeding rates. I mean, talk about an excellent opportunity for a grower when you're looking at your, your best variety selection, you're going to have that best chance with Pioneer, you're going to get the best seed treatment, 
And then when it comes to that local knowledge of how those products are going to perform, again, standing on my tiptoes at this point on the soapbox, we've got 175 endless trials out this year across the Eastern Corn Belt, making sure that the products we brought to the market are here to last and stay and do well on, on your acres for those of you listening to this podcast. So any, any brand that's trying to say there's a five bushel yield drag or anything like that, I'm sorry, that's just not true. That's not the case. And and we've got the data to back that up. So everyone's got a position in the market. And I think that Pioneer and Corteva's this whole time has been the provider of choice. Uh, you know, in the past, we've talked about our extend soybeans, but we've invested a lot into our Liberty breeding program. And now we're talking about enlist, conventional, plenish, you know, Pioneer's the provider of choice. And I, I guess when it comes to folks evaluating those herbicide trade decisions, just really consider what's going to make the most sense from your operation, not just from a weed management standpoint, but from a performance standpoint. I think that's critically important. You guys have any ideas or any thoughts as I, uh, as I step off of my soapbox there? Don't, don't fall getting off. Um, the, the other Sorry, thing. sometimes I just get a little jazzed about, about no. when folks are we're talking trash on my products. It's just not I, fair, Brian. I get it completely. I, I think to me what you've summed up, though, is where Nate started in this idea of a system. And, you know, Nate talked about it from the herbicide, from the weed control standpoint. But ultimately, to do this system justice, you can't have a conversation about the herbicide side of this without having a conversation about the seed side of it. And what you've done is taken the system that Nate laid out from a crop protection standpoint and have extended that. You've talked about seed treatment, about what we do to find the right varieties. It's just an extension of the system piece in my mind. Um, you just you can't have, we're to the point in the industry today that you can't have a conversation only about crop protection or about a herbicide program without talking about the seed, you can't have a seed conversation without talking about what you're going to control weed with. And that's where we find ourselves at is a set of systems that are unknowns at the moment because we don't have a label. And then we have a system with a lot of heritage, with a lot of understanding, both from a seed standpoint and a herbicide standpoint that we've been working with for seven or eight years now that's proven that is all known. I mean, you can drive to a retailer and you can say, hey, I need Enlist One and I'm going to tank mix Durango with it. And that's the difference between these two systems as we sat here today. I think it puts Corteva and I think it puts folks who are ready to make a change because of water hemp or mare's tail or giant ragweed or any number of other weed species in a good spot because they can make that decision today and they know exactly what to expect and guys like Nate can help them with the system approach and layered residual and you and I and Ben can help them with varietal choices and positioning and all of those things but it's a, it's a system approach the seed guys and the crop protection guys working hand in hand with our growers and that's that's exciting to me but it also I hope is exciting for a customer or for a grower. Yeah, I agree, Brian. It's, and um, there's a there's a lot to unpack from a from Carl's soapbox, but there were there were a few things that stood out to me that I that I'd like to circle back on. Um, 
you know, when we talked about resistance management and having, um, having a systems approach, Carl, you, you brought up our seed treatment. Um, and when you look at just the fungicide package alone on the seed treatment, how, how many layered actives there are on there and how many, how many modes of action you have against, against pests that are common to us here. Um, the other thing, the other thing you talked about having 175 locations across the, across the Eastern Corn Belt, um, and leveraging molecular markers. Um, part, one of the unique, unique things about our organization from a breeding standpoint is that we're able to leverage the technology and the, and the strengths of a global organization like molecular markers and have high throughput, high throughput assays to screen for all these diseases so we can screen a ton of genetics in a hurry, right? And move, move a breeding program forward forward very quickly but we also have that married with a really a really local touch that is is unique to us um because this is an indiana specific podcast there there are there are two separate soybean breeding programs in indiana one one centered in um near kokomo in northern indiana and one near vincennes in southern indiana um and they overlap through mid-group three and for the heart of our maturities in indiana we have really focused local breeding and our scientists are in the field every day, um, walking walking those varieties. Actually, working with growers, understanding understanding what people want locally, and that's that that is that is very unique to us. And it also, as an agronomist, it affords me the opportunity to interact with those breeders with some regularity and understand understand um, how how their program's going, what they're working on, but also have the flow of information back. What is important in the field you know, with their neighbors and the, and the folks that we're all working with. And that again, is just, it's very unique to, to this organization. Yeah, I guess if I was going to put a bow on a lot of the stuff you just said, this, we have a lot of heritage with this. And I think people need to understand that is the breeding has, is we never stopped. You know, when we initially couldn't go to market when we wanted to, the breeding didn't stop between the joint venture of now Corteva and MS Tech the breeding continued and it continued to get better and better and better. Uh, when we started this, we actually didn't even call this system enlist. We called it DHT, the Dow herbicide trait. And, and that was for, I thought there's very many people who, who know that, but that is a, the very old verbiage for it and shows okay. how, how long, long ago we started because the, the marketing team had clearly not even gotten their hands on it yet till we, we finally came up with the enlist name. Um, but we didn't stop. And, and the other thing about that is the herbicide applications. For a lot of our growers, this this past year and this coming year will be the first time they spray Enlist. We're almost five years into spraying Enlist herbicides on Enlist cotton in the South. You know, we've learned a lot of lessons from doing from making these applications. So, although it's newer to us in soybeans, by no means is spraying Enlist Duo and Enlist One new to us across the U.S. We've got a lot of acres to look at, and, and we learned a lot of lessons um, by by doing that. Nate, so you you talked on that um, about down south, the success they've had with Enlist. I'm curious, we've had this year in Indiana with a lot of acres that have been applied with Enlist, and we did talk a little bit, just a itty-bitty amount on crop safety. How has it gone this year in the state of Indiana for those that aren't intimately involved with Enlist and, and like yourself? Could, could you just educate some of the folks uh, listening in on uh, where things stand? You bet. And that's been one of the most exciting things. Um, so 
for the state of Indiana, there's basically two people that if we had any sort of a crop safety claim or an off-target claim, anything like that, um, there's two people that it would have to run through, um, and it's myself and then Dan Puck, who is our enlist field specialist uh, for the state. Um, and we are incredibly happy to report that everything went as planned, and we have not had a single off-target claim um, or any major crop safety claims, um, which was incredibly exciting for us. Um, you know, we, we know the good attributes that the enlist herbicides have um, between low volatility, minimized potential for physical drift um, amongst the efficacy things. And for that to really play out in a way where we literally had zero calls was incredibly exciting. Um, that's a far gone stretch from where we had been with, with the extend the last couple of years. I think we all understand that there, you could find a, a field or a claim, but when, in about every five, five mile square block, it felt like, you know, the past couple of years. And, uh, this was a whole different ball game. And it was, it was very fun for us to have, to know what the product was. And then, you know, in realistic scenarios perform the way we expected. Well, Nate, I think that just speaks to the overall crop safety and stewardship that you started out with. You've got all that experience with cotton. You've got experience with the enlist system around vegetable crops that impact really all three of us here on the, the call. And you've got folks that value the system because of that safety. Um, maybe as we finish up today, maybe talk to us a little bit about that safety and then just a little bit about buffers and wind direction and some of that stuff, because I think that's another differentiating feature that we've got over some of these other systems is the flexibility and the safety with the Q40 coaling. Yeah, so a couple couple key things there. There's really always two things you got to worry about. First is, is sensitive areas, which when you think about sensitive areas, that's where the EPA would define an endangered species could be. So wooded areas, pastures, roadside ditches, those types of things. Um, and really with that, it is it is focused on that endangered species. It's not focused on other crops that you could injure. Um, and if you have one of those, it's a 30 foot downwind buffer. Um, so if you're you know spraying towards the woods, you gotta leave a 30 foot buffer. If it's blowing towards the woods, um, if, it, if the wind is blowing away from those woods, you can spray right up to the edge um, and everything will be great. Um, but the big differentiator for, for us is the idea of susceptible crops. So you think about susceptible crops, meaning things that, that 2,4-D is effective on. Um, and commercial crops that it would be effective on, you think grapes, um, tomatoes, cucurbits, which would be your, you know, your melon, squash type family. Um, if, if, it's, if we're spraying uh, in, in a scenario where the wind is blowing towards one of those fields, we don't wanna spray that field because we know they're very 2,4-D sensitive. Um, but if the wind is blowing away from one of those fields, we can actually spray that entire field. Uh, and I think that's a big differentiator of we've done that and we've felt very, very comfortable doing that. You know, we've sprayed right up next to watermelons, pumpkins, um, all kinds of different vegetable crops. And we have felt very, very comfortable doing so. And, and then in addition to that, you know, something that is actually not a susceptible listed as a susceptible crop in the system is soybeans. So as we've educated on this this summer, that's something that we really need to focus on because if I'm spraying towards next to a non-enlist soybean field, but the wind is blowing towards that non-enlist field, we're not shut down. You know, you think about where we've been in with Extend the last few years, 
you would be shut down in that scenario. You couldn't spray that field whatsoever. You got to wait till the wind is blowing away from it to spray. Uh, if you're within our wind parameters within list, we feel very confident in the chemistry's ability to stay on the ground where we want it to stay. So that, that is not an off-label type scenario within list. Um, and we did that with a lot of regularity this year and went incredibly well. Um, but it is a, it's a 180 change from where we've been. So it's, it's, a, it's a very key thing and, a, and a, almost a, most growers have told us it's a, it's a prove it to me scenario where they don't, they almost don't believe it going in and then they do it on their own. And it's the Oh crap moment of this really does do exactly what you said it was going to do and, and stay on target. Guys, maybe that's a, a good spot to at least stop for the moment. I, there's a lot here to unpack and a lot of things to talk about. We may be a little bit later here in the winter as folks are starting to make a little bit more of their herbicide decisions specific on product. We might have Nate back on to talk through some specific Corteva products when you're putting that system approach together on residual of uh, your post-emerge applications and things like that. Nate, before we let you go, is there anything today that we haven't touched on that you think is important to get into this podcast for folks to hear? I think we hit on a lot of the really good key topics. I guess the last thing I'd leave you with is, you know, across Indiana this year, we sprayed 1.2 million acres of Enlist herbicides and with great success. So if anybody, you know, once a if any growers out there want to hear from another grower that they had uh, that has sprayed Enlist or have some realistic experiences, I think between the four of us, we can probably find somebody in your local area to talk to, to, to really understand that you know, this is no BS. This is, this is going to be the real deal this year, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Well, thank you, Nate. I appreciate your time today. And Nate's right. You know, if you hear something on the podcast and you're interested in getting more information about it, certainly reach out to your local Pioneer sales rep, your local Pioneer territory manager, uh, your local Pioneer agronomist your crop protection rep, your uh, Corteva crop protection territory manager. We're all ready to have this conversation and visit with folks uh, about how to make better decisions on managing weeds and understanding that so we're just a small group of a much larger group that can help you as a listener and as a grower manage this and kind of navigate these waters. Ben, Carl, anything you guys would like to add before we close for the day? The, the only thing that I have to add, Brian, is, is circling back to the, the breeding conversation that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, when you're comparing the, the, two main, the two main stack traits being Extend Flex and, and List E3, um, and List is, it's a molecular stack, so it's a single insertion into, into the germplasm, whereas Extend Flex is actually three separate insertions. So looking forward from a breeding perspective, one of those I can, I can guarantee you is much, much simpler to use um, and a lot more flexible ac across the range of germplasm that you can work with in it. So just keeping that in mind, looking forward uh, as we want to maintain this, this incredible genetic gain that we've had with soybeans over the past 15 years, um, one of these systems, it would appear, is going to be a whole lot easier to do that with than the other. That's a, a great point, Ben. It goes back to that sieve, that that sifting through of things. It just makes that much more, you know, much simpler for our breeders to do when they don't have to worry about 
getting the tray in and the challenges that that comes with uh, when you don't have to deal with those multiple insertion points. Carl, anything else you'd like to add today? I guess I, I do, Brian, I'll, I'll admit, I do have a parting shot. If, if uh, you know, you're a grower that's evaluating the extend flex system, more power to you. Uh, but if you're doing that and you're thinking, well, I just won't apply dicamba next year because I don't want to, you know, ding up my neighbors. If you want great Liberty beans, Pioneer has the best Liberty lineup there is in the industry. We have invested in that breeding pipeline and we have excellent A-series Liberty soybeans. So if you want to buy ExtendFlex, buy into that system and not spray your dicamba and just lean on Liberty Post, come talk to us because we've got some really excellent Liberty varieties. Uh, we, we really do our darndest to keep this a very, uh, you know, nonpartisan, unbiased podcast, provide you guys with the best agronomic information. But I, I will admit, uh, when it comes to providing solutions to your farm, I really think Pioneer and Corteva is the best partner to help you make those decisions. So uh, appreciate, uh, you know, your willingness to, to hear that message from me today. And uh, we'll make sure it's uh, the, the soapbox doesn't maybe come out next podcast. We've all got them, Carl, and uh, I, I think you wouldn't be human if you didn't have a certain <laughs> to, to climb up. And certainly know that that I do, and we won't get into those today, or we'll be here for another week talking about things. <laughs> Nate, we do appreciate your time, and we'll uh, try to get you back on here a little bit later in the fall or winter and dig a little bit deeper on specific products and how we make a herbicide system go for the E3 system. Ben. Always happy to help guys. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Ben, if a customer heard something today and they want to be able to get a hold of you, what's the, the best way they can reach out to Ben Jacob to talk about E3 soybeans or uh, herbicide programs or things like that? Yeah, the quickest way in a broad sense would be through social media, um, Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, it's at DBenJacob, and on Facebook, Ben Jacob Agronomy. Carl, how about you? Uh, you're in the Twitter sphere, I think. Uh, what? How can we get a hold of you? Yep, at Seedzorn, and um, is you know harvest. We're in the throes of it now, but we'll be in the winter months here, so we've got the opportunity to do a podcast on a variety of subjects. So give us that direct direct feedback on what you all want to hear about, and uh, reach out to us that way. Brian, how about yourself? How about the Red Baron over there? Uh, BK Schrader on Twitter, and then Brian Schrader at Pioneer.com on the email. Uh, Nate, how about you? How can folks get a hold of you if they heard something today and they want to get a little deeper? Well, I was actually just looking up. I didn't really remember what my Twitter handle was, even though I use it all the time. <laughs> I, I always kind of forget what it is. But I'm um, at Nate underscore Wiss, W-Y-S-S, or uh, Nathan.Wiss at Corteva.com. Um, if you can't, if you don't remember that or anything, just get a hold of your local CP territory manager or Pioneer contact and be happy to, anybody that's listening to this would be happy to to feel to call from you and have a discussion. So, all right, thanks, Nate. And uh, for those of you that listen, we certainly always appreciate your time. Whether you're in a combine cab or the grain cart or in a grain truck, uh, we're pretty well through the soybean harvest as we set here on October the 21st, and know that we've got a good start on corn. But uh, we like to have a lot of fun. We value you as customers, but we also want to make sure that you're safe this fall. And so, uh, if it takes just a few more seconds to do something. 
uh, we sure encourage you to do that so that uh, you'll be safe and be able to hear the next podcast when we get it out to you. So as I mentioned, this is the October 21st episode of the Pioneer Agronomy podcast. Uh, We thank you for the time and uh, we look forward to visiting with you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.